All right. Welcome back to Minor Detail Radio. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of the show. You can find us on the web at aminordetail.com. We do Maryland news, we do politics, and we also do advocacy for issues, um, especially issues that I am sincerely passionate about. And tonight is one of those issues, and that is um, bringing awareness to domestic violence. And it so happens that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so I have contacted an organization that I think so highly of. They're called the House of Ruth. Um, They're based in Baltimore City, and I have two of their finest um, champions and employees of the organization with me tonight. I have Dorothy Lenig, um, who is the director of the Marjorie Cook Legal Clinic, as well as Christina Page, who is a service coordinator and manager, um, and I want to welcome welcome them both, Dorothy and Christina. Welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight on this important show. Thank yes, you. Nice to be here. All right. So we're going to just jump right into this, and Dorothy, I'm going to start with you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what the House of Ruth is, when it began, um, what its primary mission is, and who it serves? The House of Ruth is a comprehensive domestic violence program. We have an 84-bed shelter in Baltimore City, a 24-hour hotline with counseling both for folks who are in our shelter and folks in the community. We have an abuser intervention program. We have client services, and we have a legal clinic. We began in 1977 in a row house in Baltimore City, and now we provide services in Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Prince George's County, and Montgomery County. Wow. Okay. Um, And Christina, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We serve victims of domestic violence. We serve men and women, although most of our clients are women, but we definitely do serve men. Okay. And so, Christina, what is your role um, with the organization? Um, so good evening. Um, my role with the organization is I am the service coordination manager. So I manage a team of staff that they provide somewhat like case management, but they help coordinate services for the clients that are in our shelter and then also in our community. And okay. the service coordinators, they provide, you know, stability building services to survivors of IPV. And that could look like anywhere from, you know, job searches to looking for housing, to creating a safe plan, and it goes on. Well, this month is an important month, and I know that the House of Ruth has been advertising the um, bringing awareness to domestic violence. And so um, what are some of the issues this month in particular that you are trying to um, release to the community that you are wanting the community, especially here in Maryland. I live in Montgomery County. We're in North Potomac. You guys are based in uh, Baltimore city. Um, but yeah, Dorothy, what are, what are some of the interactions with the community that uh, the house of Ruth is doing this month in particular? Well, I always think that to end violence against women, we really use three methods. We provide a lot of direct services and that's the hotline and the shelter. I run the legal clinic, and we actually have offices in both Rockville and in in Silver Spring in the courthouses. We have counseling services there. Those are all the direct services. The second 
prong of ending violence against women is what I call advocacy. And that's a lot of the legislative work we do. It's the work we do to try to change the systems. And then finally, and really importantly, is the prevention piece. And that's, it's prevention in that we want to be out in the community making sure that folks are aware of what domestic violence looks like, how to, how to stop it, what to do if you see somebody who's being abused, how to help a friend who's being abused, but really try to stop it before it starts. And that's what I think October is a lot about, is making people aware of some of the signs that somebody might be in an abusive relationship. Yeah, and um, Christina, you know, I first learned about the the House of Ruth through a mutual friend who is um, has done a lot with the organization, Ami Hober, um, good friend mm-hmm. of mine, and she had she had brought this to my attention. And um, uh, you know, we, we all have some sort of personal narrative or story um, related to. I know a lot of people, me personally, have um, ex- domestic violence is just you know, part of our narrative growing up or something like along those lines. But Ami brought me to the organization. I had a terrific lunch um, in Baltimore city with uh, your executive director and we had a great conversation. And so um, I just, the more and more that I find out about this organization, um, I I just, my hat is off to you. And I just want to say my, my greatest compliments to you both for, the work that you um, that you do, and I, I want to understand, uh, Dorothy, how did you get involved with this? What, how did you, how did this passion um, spark, and you getting involved, especially with the the House of Ruth? Uh, when I went to law school, I knew I wanted to do public interest work, and I've always been a feminist, and I think this married those two things. I wanted to do public interest work. I like working with women. I think this is an amazing issue. Empowering women to leave abusive relationships is, there's sort of nothing more powerful to me. It's awfully hard to be in an abusive relationship and go to court by yourself. And I had a client once who said, it was my briefcase that made her feel strong. What I know is my clients are not going to have a lawyer without the lawyers in the legal clinic. So the fact that we can help them take the legal step to get untangled from their abuser is very powerful. Yeah, exactly. And Christina, so if somebody comes and if, if let's just, I'll give you a scenario. If a, a woman but, who is exper- experiencing domestic violence inside of her home and she doesn't know where to go. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm sure this happens a lot where mm-hmm. they, women desperately want to remove themselves from a situation. It could be, it could be a husband. It could be a fiancé. Um, it could be um, someone who lives inside of the home. And women in particular, uh, they just don't have the resources. So what would be the first step if, if somebody is listening tonight – um, and they're in a abusive relationship. And what would you tell them? Where, what, how do you do this? So what I usually tell people, you know, whether I'm in the community or, you know, talking to anyone in the public, I always tell them, you know, the first step is sometimes the hardest step. But one of the things that we do have is the 24-hour hotline, and you can call it at any time, and it's a confidential hotline that, you know, we have counselors that are on there that are trained in crisis intervention and safety planning. And you don't know, you don't have to know what exactly you want to do, 
that first step, you know, just being able to talk about it with someone, you know, that is not necessarily related to you or is not necessarily going to force you to take that next step, but just to be able to talk about what your options are. And then you can come up with what is the safest plan for you. Because, you know, one safety plan for one person might not necessarily be, you know, the next person's safety plan. So I think it's really important, you know, if you have, if you know someone, I mean, knowing the statistics that one in four women, you know, are a victim of intimate partner violence and one in seven men. So at any given time, I think that, you know, we could be connected to someone that is experiencing it. So I always tell people it doesn't hurt to put, the 24-hour hotline um, for House of Ruth, which is 410-889-RUTH, which is 7884. Just put it in your phone, and just in case someone discloses to you or you, you as a friend want to know how can I support this person that's going through this, then you can just give us a call, and then we can help walk you through it. So, and Dorothy, I've I've seen it happen where I've I, I, I think that I thought to myself that I recognize some element of abuse, but it's it's hard to broach that, you know, especially with friends or maybe with colleagues at work. And I've been in those situations where I, I'm, I'm almost very timid to, 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 to ask any questions. Um, and you, you know it might be happening or you've seen the, the person with whom you work with or maybe a neighbor or a friend interact with their spouse, their partner or whatnot. Um, and it's hard to, to broach that topic with somebody, but um, I think it's becoming more prevalent now and people that um, not necessarily who come to the clinic, the victims themselves, but um, what is your advice for people who may recognize it and just don't know how to approach the victim and say, Hey, I think this is happening, but, um, and you know, I want to get some help to you. What, what, what's your, what's your suggestions with that? You know, that's really hard. And I think people struggle with it because people feel like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to um, make an assumption that isn't right. But I think what I often do is if I can get uh, the woman, if it's the woman who's a victim alone, just try to talk to her a little bit about maybe what's going on, give her some information, maybe give her a brochure from the House of Ruth or talk to her about some of the things she should be looking for. Some of the warning signs are the thing that I look for the most is the controlling behavior. So I might talk to her about whether her intimate partner is controlling what she's doing or whether he's isolating her from her friends and family or putting her down or controlling the money or threatening her with things that really just aren't true. You know, he might say to her, if you leave me, I'll get the children because leaving me is a crime, which it isn't, and I'll end up with the kids because you'll be in jail, which is not true. So it's trying to get her a little bit apart from her, from him and talk to her and see if she's interested in learning some more about what some of the warning signs are. You are uh, you run the legal clinic, and I'm I'm just I'm reading the website and looking through your social media, and uh, there's a post from October 14th that says, um, "Fact that legal representation is one of the greatest unmet needs confronting victims of intimate partner violence throughout Maryland," and there's a a link to learn about some of your legal services. Um, a victim comes to the House of Ruth, and maybe they. Um, a lot of times victims may rely 
on the partner who was doing the abusing to, um, to, to that that they they help them financially or they're totally reliant on that person, so they may not have money to pay for legal services. Does the house of does the house of Ruth provide these types of services for women? All of our all of our legal services are free, and. Uh, the person doesn't actually have to get to the House of Ruth. Most of our work is either done over the phone, so she can just call, or just walk into a courthouse. So we're in the courthouses in um, Baltimore City, in Prince George's County. We're both in Upper Marlboro and Hyattsville, and in Montgomery County, we're in the Silver Spring Courthouse and the Rocksville Courthouse. So if she can just walk into the courthouse, we have lawyers in the courthouse who will help her for free. And they can, whether she's ready to move forward with a protective order or not, they can provide her with enough information and help her create a safety plan that Christina was just talking about. And a safety plan. Let's talk about that. Um, is is a is that a plan to to exit the home to take the children and to find um, adequate housing and maybe job resources and whatnot? Is that is that part of the plan? A safety plan can be whether she's planning to stay, whether she's thinking about leaving, or whether she's actually left. And it's very individual. What it does is it tries to look at her entire day and where she feels like it would be possible that her abuser might be able to get her. So it it could include things like altering her route to work. It might It might be something like telling the daycare center that she has custody and not to release the children to him. It might be getting her mail at a post office. It might be changing the locks on her apartment. It really depends. I always say we don't give somebody a safety plan. We help them create a safety plan so that they they can do it themselves and make sure they are safer. If she's still living with him, it might be, packing a bag with some of the emergency stuff she would need to leave, including her important papers. If she's already left him, that could be the time that you leave is one of the most dangerous times. So it's being really conscious of where the points of vulnerability are for her. Um, Christina, um, how can men get involved with the organization? So there's a there's a couple different ways that um, they can get involved, and we have we really have a lot of men that are involved with our um, Man Up campaign. We have several men that serve on our board. Um, so the same way that um, really anyone would like to get involved um, is that they could reach out to us. We, you know, whether it be attending our fundraising events, whether it be putting on you know their own type of events to bring awareness to this issue. I think it's really really important when, you know, men step up and say that, you know, instead of the asking, you know, why isn't she leaving, you know, but why is this okay? Why has this become okay in our society for this to happen? So I think it's really powerful when um, men do take a stand against this and do get involved in various ways, whether it be to support an organization through donations, through giving their time, through different volunteer opportunities. And I think House of Ruth really does a great job of providing, you know, a space for men and women to get involved on a really important issue. If you're just tuning in um, and you're listening to the show, I have two wonderful guests with me, and we're talking about domestic violence. Um, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I have Dorothy Lenning and Christina Page of Maryland's House of, House of Ruth. And our phone number to call into the show is 646 646- 
716-716-5971. And if you'd like to call in and ask any questions, that would be great. And Christina, you talked about the Man Up campaign. And um, I was reading an article that there's a partnership with, it uh, looks like the Baltimore Ravens. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we have done um, definitely some work with both of them. Okay. And it looks like that to to generate some support against the intimate partner violence that um, the Ravens um, donated $600,000 and they've taken part in various um, outreach efforts, um, events uh, for the campaign. And so is the Man Up campaign, is that to inspire men to to get involved with the House of Ruth or is that some sort of, uh, is that another way for, uh, for, you know, education training and, and whatnot? Yes. So um, that was a, a group that they put together because they wanted to change, they wanted to change the way that the community was thinking. You know, we had several men that had stepped up and then wanted to be a part of making a difference to end domestic violence. The um, idea behind Man Up was to change the reaction that's in society about, you know, asking the question of why doesn't she just leave to, um, you know, everyone coming together and say, then why does he think that it's okay to abuse her? And um, we did have several organizations, including the Ravens, um, that we have gone and provided training to, and um, we are involved in the Purple, I believe it's called the Purple Night through the Ravens, and um, and then several other things that they do. Wow, um, Dorothy. Earlier, you mentioned um, you you get involved uh, not only um, at well, of course, with the state uh, at the state level, but uh, legislatively. And I have the privilege of living in District 15. My delegate is Delegate Kathleen Dumay. Um, well, she's one of my three delegates, and she has been a tremendous partner with the House of Ruth. Um, and some of the legislation that uh, she's introduced um, has been a tremendous benefit. So could you talk a little bit more about some of the legislation that you have worked with uh, legislators on in the state of Maryland, some of the bills that you have gotten passed um, that dealt primarily with domestic violence? Well, let me give a shout out to Delegate Dumay, who's one of our greatest advocates, and we work very, very closely with her. She's amazing, and she's the vice chair of the House Judiciary Committee. So I, I'd like to say that, that when, the, when the protective order statute was first enacted in 1980, it was good for 15 days, and you had to be married and living together. And now, in 2017, we cover all kinds of relationships, so it can be ever married people who are living together, people who have children in common, people who are in dating relationships. And it's good for up to a year, some circumstances, two years. And there's all, all kinds of relief. So there's, you can get custody, there's financial support, use of the home, but then all sorts of other things, including stay away from the daycare center, use of the car, you, you're not allowed to have firearms, things like that. So we've really expanded the protective order tremendously over the years. I think some of our greatest accomplishments have been changing the standard of proof in a protective order. It used to be you had to have a it was a it was much harder to prove protective the the um, what you had to show in court was at a much higher level and and we've lowered it so it makes it a little bit easier because so many of these situations are he said she said situations so it's easier to prove it. We've 
we've made it so that the legislature has passed laws that say that if you if you are under a final protective order, you cannot have a firearm under any circumstance. Um, this year we have a bill in, or we're going to be asking to have a bill put in. Under the current law, if somebody is arrested for a crime and they're either out on bail or released without a bail, and they're told to have no contact with their victim and they violate that, that's not actually a crime. So we would like that to be a crime. So if somebody's told stay away from your victim, the police could actually arrest them. So those are some of the big bills that we've worked on. I'm happy to go into more detail. Yeah, I would. So I'm, I always approach uh, the show from a political standpoint. Um, I'm very political and, um, but more policy oriented. So um, that, that is definitely your niche here. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what some of the other pieces of legislation that the House of Ruth has done um, in the state of Maryland. I understand that at one point, um, former state Senator Jamie Raskin was a key ally for the organization. And of course he is now in Congress and he's doing good work there. I'm a big fan of Jamie Raskin. Um, but in the state Senate, um, now that Jamie Raskin has left, is there another champion? Is there another advocate that you rely on um, within that, um, within that um, portion of the, uh, the general assembly? Um, Senator Susan Lee is a tremendous advocate of ours and she often is our lead sponsor. Okay. District 17, I believe. Potomac. Or 16. Or 16. She's District 16. <laughs> There's so many districts in Montgomery County, I get <laughs> confused. Um, so, yeah, if you want to I – want, I would like for you to go in a bit more detail about some of those pieces of legislation and talk about the policy behind it and how that works. Because from – we talked earlier in the show about people getting involved – and I think one of the key ways to become involved is to go and testify on a bill down in Annapolis. Yes. I mean, that is one way. We're happy to keep people informed about uh, where we are legislatively. If people email me with their name, email address, and home address, we're happy to let them know. To send them, We're happy to send them um, our legislative updates. And so we list all the bills not only that we're working on, but some other groups are working on. Uh, you know, some of the other big changes when we, is when we've expanded the protective order. For a long time, you couldn't get a protective order if you were dating. Um, you know, if you weren't living together, had a child in common, you couldn't get a protective order. And we changed that a few years ago. Um, I think it's really we have expanded the protective order to be a really powerful remedy for a victim of domestic violence. I think ultimately people have, are going to have to either get divorced or get, to, or get custody of their children if they're not married to completely legally untangle the victim from the abuser because while they're still either married or still have children together without the legal ties being broken, it, it allows the abuser to continue to um, put her in dangerous situations. So I, I, the protective order is a really good first step to give the parties a chance to get apart, give the victim a break to get away from the abuser. But then ultimately, I think you have to take the next step if you, if you still have that legal relationship. 
Christina and Dorothy, we have a caller who is um, interested to, to talk with one of you. I hope you don't mind if you take a question or two. I'm going to patch them in. And um, I just patched in a caller. If you wouldn't mind announcing your name, please, that would be great. Hi, I'm Myla John. Hi, Myla. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? Good. So we were, we're on the line with um, with two fantastic people um, who work for uh, the House of Ruth here in Maryland. And Myla, you are running in District 18 for state delegate. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. And what do you want to talk about tonight? I'm not calling about my campaign. I'm calling because I reached out to the House of Ruth not too many years ago when I was in a domestic violence situation and they were extraordinarily helpful. And as you guys were talking about earlier about testifying in Annapolis, I did that. I contacted then Senator, now Chief Legislative Officer Christopher Shank about allowing victims of dating and intimate partner violence to get protective orders and not just peace orders. Because at that point, I wasn't eligible for a protective order. It happened when my abuser moved in. 30 days, it went just completely off the rails. And there was nothing I could do to get him out of the house. And I had a young daughter. And it was very, very traumatizing. And I was shocked to learn that in as progressive a state that Maryland is, that I couldn't I wasn't eligible for that. So I submitted testimony for two years in a row and was so thrilled when they finally passed that. I just want to thank both of you from the House of Ruth for being there and being so supportive and helping people who don't really ever think about it until it happens to them. Wow. Thank you so much. It's always really great to hear uh, the positive impact we have. It really is, and thank you, Myla. Thank you for, you know, being so strong and being willing to stick with it and submitting your testimony two years in a row. Um, Myla, stay stay with us, Myla, for a second, and I I want to broach another topic um, that I I think is, uh, I guess, another angle of combating domestic violence. Um, uh, For for. For men who uh, at one point in their life um, may have um, committed some type of domestic violence, is is the House of Ruth, is it the kind of organization where if a man comes to the organization and says, I have done wrong and I have made a mistake, can you help me to grow as as a man and you can get me the resources to become a better person so I never – have this problem again, or I combat this. Is that, is that out there? Is that available? Absolutely. We have um, an abuser intervention program, um, which is the gateway project. And what that does is, and you most often you are court ordered to the program, but you absolutely Mm -hmm. can call. And the phone number to call is five, five, four, eight, four, seven, nine, and you can call and speak to a counselor or schedule an appointment to come in. And what the program does is it's holding batterers accountable and it's teaching nonviolent relationship skills. And the groups are for men and they're co-facilitated by male and female team, and they do need to go through a total of 28 weeks. 
Um, but yes, we absolutely do offer that. And have you seen progress made by men who are in this program? Yes, the um, the outcomes for the program have shown that there are some men that do go through the program, and and then after this program, they are not, you know, violent. Right. Well, that's 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 important. And let's talk some statistics, Dorothy. Um, and it, I, I'm I'm as as I'm reading, um, I, I put together several that I have found in through my research. It says that on average, nearly 20 people per minute. Uh, per minute, excuse me, are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. And during one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in three women and one in four men have been victims of some kind of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. And I think, and I want to back up where earlier we, you mentioned men that have been abused. It's not always Women, of course, it seems like many of the cases are for women, but with men who are abused, um, is it I, – I, my, my presumption is it's through an intimate partner or someone else in, you know, that they're in a relationship with. Um, and the House of Ruth, of course, offers the same services for men as it w- would for women. Is that correct? Yes, that's true, whether it's a same-sex relationship or opposite-sex relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's good to know. Um, and it looks like that 19% of domestic violence involves a weapon, and only 34% of people who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. And, Christina, I, my question is, is that you've probably talked to a lot of women throughout um, your, uh-huh. your tenure with the organization, and... I, I'm sure it takes incredible passion, patience, and empathy, and understanding. And if you're somebody that is not trained in what you do and what Dorothy does, how can we talk to people uh, that have been? Uh, because that's that would be for me the hardest part is that I don't, you know, I I, I write not for a living but as a hobby, and I do the show. And but I I would need to learn how to communicate with somebody. I I just I don't know if I would have the right words to talk to a woman um, to ensure that um, they're going to get the help that they need. And you know, for someone like me who wants to help and who wants to become more involved, and I I would need help talking to women who have been in, in abused relationships. So how do you do that? Right. So I think that, you know, um, House Ruth does do very well is we do provide, we actually have a training institute and we provide a lot of community education and training and we provide that to, you know, other large employers, small employers, but we also provide education at the House of Ruth that is open to the community. And one of the trainings that they provide, um, which is really wonderful, is the comprehensive intimate partner violence training. So that's a great training for no matter what field you're in. I mean, anywhere from a hairdresser to a nurse to, I mean, really to any field, You, if you look at the, at the statistics, you're probably going to come across someone that is experiencing this. So if you learn what the warning signs are, then you may be more open to being able to intervene. And, be, and then if you have the knowledge of how to connect them to an organization like House of Ruth, then you'll know, you know, this is the 24-hour hotline. Why don't you give them a call? 
So I think that the training piece is very important because you want to know, you know, exactly how to approach them and what the warning signs are. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of discussion and talk um, about domestic violence um, within the major sporting leagues. There's been talk um, with sexual assault um, with, you know, with, Harvey Weinstein, this, this stuff that has come out. And so um, do you experience a lot of victims who come to the house of Ruth who have been sexually assaulted? Yes. Well, or, I think when you, I mean, when, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darcy. Um, I, a lot of the clients that we see in the legal clinic are also sexually assaulted by their intimate partners. So we do see it. The thing that I think that's been so amazing about the sexual assault activities that have been going on, the Harvey Weinstein stuff, is how many people are talking about it and how many people are starting to say that we have to hold each other accountable. And um, I feel like there's just been a lot of increase in getting people aware about what they ought to be doing and that they should intervene and that they should say something. You know, I sometimes think about this. It's like where we were with alcohol, with drink, you know, drinking and driving, a long mm-hmm. time ago, you know, when I was kind of growing up, no, nobody would ever say to somebody, oh, let me take your car keys from you. But now I think bartenders are more aware of it. Friends take their car keys. Somebody will call you a cab. It's those same kinds of things that we really want to do with domestic violence and sexual assault. I think we want to um, a little bit be looking out for each other. You know, men saying to each other, you know, hey, it's not cool to treat your wife that way or you know, you shouldn't hit somebody, love shouldn't hurt, those kinds of things. So it's trying to find the right word sometimes can be hard, but I think the more we do it and the more we get used to doing it, the easier easier it will get. Well, I noticed that the it, it, it's amazing how viral some of the campaigns become, especially with the use of social media, um, just how prolific um, it is. And this past month, um, if, if you're on Facebook, I, I saw plenty of women that I know. Um, and Myla, um, yeah, as, as a friend of mine, you, um, you probably saw it as well, the Me Too campaign. Um, and I'm more interested to, to learn, is, uh, is the House of Ruth, um, have, they, have they talked about that, the Me Too campaign? And what does that mean? And this is for anyone to answer. Um, I'm interested to learn um, how that has brought greater awareness to not only domestic violence, but sexual assault as well combined. The thing that I really noticed with that is how many women uh, hashtag me too. And what it made you realize was, first of all, you're not alone if it happened to you. And how many really prominent women were putting it out there that they had been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. And so it made people who had kept this a secret for years and years and years feel that they could finally talk about it. I also think it makes men aware of the fact that, that as it becomes more into the public that they're, not, they're just not going to be able to get away with it in the same way. If you start to fire really prominent people, let's hope that same feeling carries down into the regular workplace. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's, it's happening all over the country where um, women are standing up and they're saying no more. We're not going to tolerate this, but it still happens um, when women um, who are in, you know, they, they work hard in their career, but they're told that 
this person or that person is a powerful man. Don't mess with them. Um, and uh, they are uh, it, they are subjected to some sort of sexual assault or harassment or they're threatened in their career. I see that more and more happening. In fact, I, I know some people who have been um, threatened um, professionally that if they come forward that they're going to lose their job or they might have to resign their position um, because they've been um, sexually harassed. And I think that these types of campaigns – um, and with the use of social media, it's bringing more and more attention to that. Um, and so I, I'm interested to see um, how this is going to progress and how more and more women are going to feel comfortable and unafraid to uh, to stand up and, and say uh, no more. Um, Christina, I'm and, and I, don't, I, I don't want you to go into any specifics because I know you can't legally, but um, could you talk about some of the most common occurrences that you see on a daily basis with um, men or, or excuse me, rather women or men who um, contact the house of Ruth and without getting any names or um, too much detail, um, what are the most common occurrences that you see uh, on a daily basis? So generally um, the, the women that we're serving, I mean, and like you said earlier, you know, we do serve women and men, but the majority is women so I'll talk about them right now. Um, but the women that we are serving are women that are in imminent danger. They are calling our hotline because they're looking for a way to create the safest way to leave. Sometimes they need to leave right now because the abuser is at work, or sometimes they're calling us because the abuse just happened and he left. So they're calling us to try to figure out a plan. Then we have a um, program that work, we work with the Baltimore City Police Department to where the Baltimore City Police will drop off clients to us. And those clients have either just experienced the domestic violence situation or they had experienced it within the last day or two. And those clients are some of our most clients that are in the most danger. And when they're dropped off to us, you know, that first couple days, you know, it's really stabilizing the client because, you know, they just went through this traumatic incident. And once they're able to get to a safe place, whether that be to our shelter or whether that be to a relative's house or, you know, just somewhere safe, then we're able to start to plan, you know, and create that safety plan and then work in those stabilization factors that the service coordination department does. Wow. Um, and <clears throat> Dorothy, when you go to court, uh, do you specifically, do you help women when they go into, I mean, it's a complicated process of um, filling out a protective order. Um, do, do you go in with people and sit with them and help them fill out the, the forms or do volunteers of the House of Ruth um, do that rather? So the, the Maryland has a really amazing collaboration with uh, the courts. The courts actually provide a lot of grant funding to us and give us space in the courthouses so that when a victim of domestic violence comes into the courthouse to get a protective order, we have lawyers there, not Mm. just legal advocates, not just counselors, not just friendly faces, but actually we have lawyers who can represent folks in court. So sometimes we get People come to us before they file their petition. We can help them fill out the petition. Many more people come to us after they've already filed the petition and they've gotten the temporary protective order. But then if they come to us, 
and they qualify for our services, we can represent them at the protective order hearing. The thing that I think is so amazing with this is that there are lawyers there who can give them legal advice on how to proceed and answer their legal their legal questions, which you know, I, I don't know of any other state that has as extensive a system as we do here. Yeah, what is the, you know, if, if anybody's listening and they're, they're hearing this for the first time and they want to take uh, this move in, in the direction to, um, to stop the violence and they uh, go and file for a protective order, um, could you talk a little bit more in depth, Dorothy, about the protective order process in Maryland, how it works, um, some of the papers that you have to fill out and um, what happens when you go to court and that process? Okay, so in order to get a protective order, it's either a two- or three-step process. If somebody needs to go to court right now, so when the court's not open, they can go to get an interim protective order, and they would have to go to a court commissioner's office. So they'd have to figure out where in their jurisdiction the court commissioner is. And you go in, and you have to – you need two things. You have to show that you're a person eligible for relief, so you either have to be – a current or former spouse, or living together, or have a child in common, or have a dating relationship, or as it says in the statute, a sexual relationship with the abuser. And you have to show that there's been an act of abuse under the statute. So that could be an assault, sexual assault, placing the person in fear of imminent serious bodily harm. There's a whole list of crimes or, or activities that allow you to get a protective order. So if you go tonight then you have to come back to court in two days for the temporary protective order hearing. The other way is if it's during court hours, you can just go in and get the temporary protective order and skip the first step. After the temporary protective order, the, a copy of the petition has to be served on the abuser, and that has to be served by law enforcement. So in some jurisdictions, it's the police. some jurisdictions, it's the sheriff. And and then they set a hearing in for the final protective order a week later. So it moves very, very quickly. At the protective order hearing, you have to prove, again, those two things, that you're a person eligible for relief and that there's been an act of abuse. And this is what I was talking to a little bit about a little bit earlier. You only have to prove it by a preponderance of the evidence. So and if we think of that, you know, if you think beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case, that's, I don't know, 98%. This is more like 51%. So the judge just has to believe it more than they don't believe it, which is a little bit easier in um, a case where lots of times there are no witnesses. Once the court has ordered, if the court does find those two things, that you're a person eligible for relief and that there's been an act of abuse, and the court has the ability to order a lot of kinds of protections for the victim. So it orders the abuser to stay away from the victim, not to have any contact, not to abuse her again. It can order him, to under certain circumstances, to vacate the family home, custody of the children. It can order financial support if, if they're either married or have kids in common. Um, it can order... It always orders him to to surrender firearms. There's a whole list of kinds of things that the court can order. But it gives the person, it gives the victim a chance to get safely away from the abuser and some breathing room. Um, how does that affect you know, if if somebody is has a protective order and then you know they break it? Um, you talked earlier about strengthening that. Would, would, you know, they they break the protective order. Obviously, that would be grounds for that individual 
who who broke it to be arrested. Is that correct? Well, there's two kinds of uh, penalties for violating the protective order. Some parts of the protective order, if you violate it, it's a crime. So if you re-abuse her, if you have contact with her, you know, if you come back to the home, things like that, those parts are a crime. The parts having to do with custody and support and those sorts of things are not a crime to violate. Okay. Um, Christina, so tell us, what are some of the events that are upcoming in the House of Ruth where Marylanders, people outside of Maryland even, can, where can they get involved with? What can they do to help? So we have, um, so the best way to get involved um, is, so we have two main fundraisers that we do a year, um, and you can absolutely look on our website and see our Crab Array is one of our events, and that is in July. And then we have our, um, we have one other fundraiser that we do. But as far as, if somebody's looking to volunteer to be a part of, you know, whether it be a group project or an individual project, the best way is to go to our website and to take a look. Um, we actually have a great Get Involved tab that talks about individual projects. If you'd like to actually come to the House of Ruth and volunteer, just fill out a volunteer application and go ahead and take a look at things you'd like to do. But if you don't want to actually physically come, there are other ways that you can get involved. We've had different organizations do diaper drives. We've had um, people put together um, around Christmas time. We have an Adopt-A-Family program, which is the program that, you know, people in the community can adopt families for Christmas and for, you know, winter holidays. And so the best way is if they want to get involved is just to give us a call because we do a really great job of being able to tailor to whether it be an individual or a group and and see how they want to help. Do they physically want to come to the House of Ruth um, or do they want to do something in their community which not only helps the House of Ruth and survivors of IPV, but also it brings awareness into that community. Uh, I noticed on the website, and I, we talked earlier about this, that the House of Ruth has, as uh, Dorothy mentioned, an 84-bed shelter. Um, hearing the word shelter sometimes gives people jitters. And you know, they, women say, well, you know, I got this shelter, but then they, their mind raises, well, is it like a homeless shelter or is it – what is the shelter that you offer? How long can people stay? Um, what is the type of treatment, and is there a is there an expiration for how long women can stay, and um, what um, what kind of services does it offer? Yeah, so so our emergency shelter, I, I agree with you. When you hear shelter, you you definitely think um, some of the worst things. But one thing I will say is I have been in ninety percent of all shelters in I would say Baltimore City and Baltimore County. And Hauser is definitely not like any of the other shelters. It is a very, one, it's very safe. It is isolated for obvious reasons. And it's very clean. We offer a lot of supportive services right in the shelter. We actually have a child care center, licensed child care center in the shelter. We have an after-school program. We are clinical staff, which are our therapists for the children and also for the women that are in our shelter are actually located directly in the shelter. My office is in the shelter. So the entire service coordination program is located in the shelter. Um, we have supportive services all throughout. So from the time you come in the shelter and during your stay, you have, you know, supportive 
you know, people around you that are helping you move along in the shelter. And as far as how long you can stay, that's really on an individual basis. Um, it really depends. We have, you know, some families or individuals that come in and they just need a week or two until they figure out the next best step. Um, or we have some people that have come in and stayed 45 or 60 days until we're able to transition them to somewhere safer. Um, so women leave the shelter, Dorothy, and then at times they, they may not have no other option where if they cannot stay with members of their family or if they have no family members close by, sometimes uh, I've, I've seen it where they, I've seen women that have gone and stayed with friends, but then for some reason or another, they end up going back into the same abusive relationship. And sometimes women don't always escape that. And, uh, you know, the worst of the worst happens. Um, you know, what would you advise in that situation? How can women, if, if it's a situation at home where they know that if they go back and they return to their partner, nobody can stop that. Um, but if they do return, um, what would your advice be for, for those women that decide that they, they want to return? Well, one of the hardest things we have to face is that there just isn't enough affordable housing. What we would love is if every woman who wanted to be away from her abuser could afford a place to live on her own. I think we all know that doesn't exist. And there are women who end up going back because they don't have any place else to go. If if she calls to our hotline or to one of our programs, we can talk to her about ways that she can try to stay safe. Some of the things you can think of is, um, you know, to pack an emergency bag so that if she needs to flee quickly, she can just grab it and go. She can have a system with her neighbors. You, you know, we, we used to say, like, you pick up the phone and call the neighbor and say there's a sale at Macy's, and that means for the neighbor to call the police. There are, there are a whole variety of techniques that you can use if you're staying in the relationship, but you're afraid that the violence is going to escalate. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a concern that, that, that I'm sure that you have and that you experience and that you deal with and you counsel women and you, you find out through a safety plan, the best option to, to get them out and to get them into something that's steady, that is away from the abuser. But women do, sometimes women do go back and um, they, they, they face that. Um, and, uh, you know, personal experiences that I've, I've seen where they just have no other option. Um, and another element of abuse, when I was growing up, I'm, I'm 31. Um, my, my friend Myla, who's still on the phone with us, um, she's in her 30s. Um, there's, there's the internet element of abuse, bullying that we've seen. I have a 10-year-old daughter, and um, she is not introduced yet to social media thank goodness <laughs> i'm just biding my time um and so my concern is is that there could be abuse in the future um through i mean we monitor her text messaging of course but um it doesn't necessarily just have to be physical but the mental the psychological abuse that we are seeing um, more often than not, um, through internet sources, through social media, through Twitter and texting and Snapchat or whatever else. And look, it can be it can be pretty brutal out there for some teenage girls. Um, and um, does the House of Ruth 
work with younger women to prevent this type of behavior? Well, one of the things that we did, and this doesn't directly answer that part of your question, but a couple years ago we had a bill that passed to strengthen the stalking statute so that we would try to get at the emotional abuse and the the, the great fear that some of these electronic media um, cause to victims. So it doesn't have to just be, is he physically following me or, um, you know, has he come after me, but some of the other techniques. So that's the part I'll speak to. I'll let Christina speak to our services. That'd be great. Yes. Yeah, so in regards to our services, I mean, technology, as, as great as it is, um, as it increases, it, it's like in, it's an ongoing learning, you know, thing for us. We're constantly, you know, and a lot of this is we're learning as we're going through it. But um, as our clients come into us, you know, we do talk to them about some basic tech training. You know, your, your iPhones and your, you know, a lot of your smartphones now, they have GPS built into them. So we talk to them about how to turn that off. We talk to them about, you know, how someone can be monitored and, you know, and how that looks, you know. And then with our younger, with our, you know, younger people that we talk to, we just talk about, you know, the, the texting and, you know, the constant tracking and wanting to know exactly where you are and, you know, screenshot this and, you know, send me your coordinates and those kinds of things. Those are controlling, you know, types of behavior and that kind of starts that conversation with them. But once um, but in, also in regards to technology that a lot of people don't think about, it's just all of the information that is online. Mm-hmm. So whether it be your, you know, your court record online, what address you're putting online, you know, and to be able to keep those confidential so that way when you do leave your abuser and then you, you know, move into a safe space, you know, how can you, whether it be create a PO box or there's a couple other, you know, things that we work on with them. Um, but also if you're home and you're researching, you know, the House of Ruth, to be mindful of, you know, erasing your history and, you know, to do things that keep you safe. Well, I appreciate that element because that's that's important. I mean, the communication aspect is, of course, you can be controlling and you can be manipulative using the technology that's available with smartphones. It's easy to just pick it up and um, and it. Everybody is attached these days to, I mean, I know I am, I admittedly mm-hmm. that my, my smartphone is an appendage of my, my right arm. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm constantly texting or communicating through Facebook or Twitter or some other means. And um, that's, that's the 21st century that we, we have to work with. Um, and um, so, you know, as we wrap up the show, what I would at, what I, I could hope that to ask of each of you um is to maybe impart a story with us that um, has inspired you um, in some way. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, you don't have to give any names, but if there's any particular story about the the organization that stands out to you where you really helped a woman and you've um, followed the case, um, would would you be willing to share that with the audience? Sure. Okay. Christina, yeah, would you want to I, go first? Sure. Um, so there's several stories that pop to mind, but one story that I, that I hold really, really close to my heart is it's a story of a woman who came to the House of Ruth through calling the hotline. 
and she had never reached out before. And when she did, she was referred to our shelter, and she came to our shelter, her and her daughter, and she had no support system at all. Um, she was from Baltimore, and but had no support system, no family or anything. And in staying in our shelter, she was able to work with the legal clinic and able to get a protective order, and they were able to connect her with the state's attorney's office, who was able to really support her through criminal charges process. And um, she was able to stay with us the time that it needed to be able to not only heal from that, but to also be able to get a job and to save money and then for us to be able to connect her with affordable housing. And that was almost three and a half years ago, and she is employed full-time. Her daughter is in school, and she still goes to counseling, and she's reaching out to us most recently to figure out how she can now give back. And, you know, being with the House of Ruth five years, I've seen so many stories like this, and that's why I love what I do. All right. That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. Dorothy, is there any story to you that sticks out in particular? Sure. I was working with a woman. She was staying in our shelter, and her kids were really young at the time. And when I was talking to her about kind of what had happened and what was going on, she said, I I really, she couldn't explain to me. It didn't didn't seem like there had really been a big act of abuse that made her leave her, her husband and come to our shelter. But I knew something had to have happened. So I was pushing her on, you know, so what happened that made you come to our shelter now? And she said, when I was 16 and I was dating who's now my husband, he took me out to the woods and shot me four times and left me there to die. And I didn't die. I lived, and I got back together with him, and we got married, and I had two kids. And on the day I left, he gave me the same look that he gave me on the day that he shot me. And if I knew if I didn't get out of there, he'd kill me. And she came to our shelter. I worked with her for a very long time. We got her divorced. We got her moved out of Baltimore. We got her to a safe location. I think she had an eighth grade education when I met her. She's gone on to go to college, to buy a home, to be employed full time, and both of her kids graduated from college. So I just the thing that it really made me see is that when you can get somebody into a safe location, they really flourish, and that's what I think we're all about. Dorothy, are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Sorry, the, 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 the connection cut out a bit, but um, oh. I, I, I apologize. Could you, would you mind finishing the, 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 the latter half of that story? I, I guess that the, we're operating on an Internet connection, and sometimes it, it cuts out. I, I do apologize. Okay. I don't know. Where did it cut out? Cause I... Well, I think you, you, you were saying that um, at, at the point where in the story where she – um, the I guess the partner looked at them, looked at her, and gave her the same look. And um, she he, said, "If I wouldn't get yeah. out of there." Yeah. So he gave her the same look that he gave her on the day that he shot her, and so she left then because otherwise she thought he would kill her. But she, I was able to work with her for a long time. We got her divorced. She was in our shelter for a long time. She had a lot of counseling, and ultimately we moved her out of Baltimore, and she. Uh, finished her education. She graduated, was able to graduate from high school. She bought a house 
And both okay. of her kids have graduated from college. And so the thing that makes you really realize is that if you can get somebody safe, they can really okay. flourish. Um, well, we're going to wrap up the show this evening. Um, Dorothy and Christina, I sincerely appreciate you. Or I'm sorry, Dorothy. Yeah, and Christina, I sincerely appreciate you both being with us uh, this evening. This was a great opportunity to have this discussion especially as Domestic Violence Awareness Month is um, bring more and talk about these issues. And it's not easy. This isn't an easy show for me. I'm a, I'm a political person, and it, but this is a passion for me, and it, um, it helps me to, to better understand the issues, and I'm sure it helps the listeners. So I just want to say thank you so much, both of you, for your time on a Sunday evening. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you're here talking to me um, on, on our show um, and I just really appreciate you both coming on. You're welcome. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you all so much and have a great evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye.